The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. Thanks for joining us. This is episode number 35 of the Boys of Tech for Monday, the 21st of September 2009. My name is Edwin Herman, co-hosting the show, Brett King. Welcome. Howdy. Brett, I uh, wanted to get straight into the show this week. Uh, the first story, the the dark side of technology. Te- mm. Yeah, the, the harm that addiction to technology is causing. And the early introduction of technology. Yeah. Well, do you know there are people that, that use computers and mobile phones between the ages of five and eight? Yes, indeed. <laughs> it's cr- I mean, okay, computers I can kind of understand. Mobile phones, it's like... Yeah, yeah. Well, you can see some benefits from it. You know, your, your kid has a mobile phone. They can report an emergency if, you know, something occurs, that sort of thing, and you've taught them how to use it. But still, <laughs> if they're five years old and they're texting their other five-year-old and six-year-old friends who also have cell phones, you've got to start to wonder there. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I know. It's It seems to – it's getting earlier and earlier. There's a whole bunch of stats that have come out of this research – and, I mean, we're not going to go through all the stats here, but I, I guess the gist of it is that one of the concerns they have is that people, you know, kids at school are not concentrating anymore because they're addicted to checking their mobile phone all the time. Yep, they're, they're having their mobile phone and they're all texting their friends and so it's 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 taking away their concentration. They don't put their phones away during class. They, they've got their phones in their laps under their desks. Yeah, 20, 20% of them. Like that. And when they should be paying attention to what's happening in class, they're not. And when they go home to do their homework, they're just copy-pasting stuff off the internet yeah, instead of actually that's bad. You know, reading the book they were supposed to review or you know, actually writing a, a piece of work. They are just yeah, plagiarizing is becoming massively prevalent and yeah just the the general deterioration in people's communication and language skills the the young today it's just it's horrible and it makes me feel old to say that sort of thing and i'm not (laughs) i'm not old at all but i still know how to spell and i still would never ever use text language in an assignment but Kids are, you know, yeah, it's start, they do so the lines are starting to blur. Oh, no. And so these things are starting to creep in. And, and then you hear discussions in schools and, you know, in, in education around whether or not we should be embracing the new and, you know, the evolving language and allowing the use of these acronyms and, you know, abbreviations in tests and assignments. Well, that's crazy. And because It's, it's, it's crazy talk. It's, it's an artificial involvement. Evol- it's not a, you know, it's, it's not a natural involvement of the language. It's, a, it's an artificial one created by certain people doing certain, certain things. people and <laughs> and internet memes <laughs> well, the last yeah. thing we want is you know things created from internet memes deliberate misspellings purely because they're part of a meme <laughs> like like pwned 
Yes, like pwned. P-W-N-E-D. Imagine putting that in your in your assignment. Yeah. Or instead of writing the, you write te, you know, T-E-H, the common misspelling. Oh, which yeah. Is a meme <laughs> of its own. <laughs> and whereas previously it would have been, you know, that is a spelling mistake. Now it's a, no, 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 it's a commonly accepted form of the. <laughs> on the internet. It's oh, like, man. Oh, <laughs> on the internet, it's perfectly fine because, well, the internet is full of memes and it's its place. But in actual assignments or proper work, it has no place. Oh, I agree. I agree. You know, the it's interesting because a lot of the the, the stats that have come out when you read through some of these things that you, you basically uh, summarized for us just now, it's very, very much Generation Y, if I may generalize. Very, mm. very, very Generation Y-ish, these, these traits. Yeah, yeah. So in a way, it's not surprising because we knew, you know, we were warned some time ago that this is what the next generation is going to be like. Uh, well, now this, this research yeah. really Short does... Short attention spans yeah. and yeah, all, all that sort of stuff. But and they well. can't sit and read for a, for a, for a period of time. They're, they're constantly, they'll, they'll read a little bit and then check their mobile phone or text someone or, yeah. or do it's, something it's, else. It's, yeah, it... You, it's quite concerning when you when you think about it. All of this, these distractions, this inability to pay attention, is is troubling. You just, well, how does it translate like, do you, into the workplace? Yeah, mm. yeah. How does it translate into the workplace? There have been multiple studies of the fact that you know attempting to multitask, do multiple too many things yourself at once, trying to split your concentration, means yes, you may do multiple things at one time, but you'll do multiple things poorly, right? Or yeah. you know, in a barely adequate manner instead of actually focusing on a single task and doing it well and doing it quick. You would instead do multiple tasks, take longer with them and perform worse. My English was horrible there. <laughs> you, you're just using the... Uh, and perform poorly. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's... Uh, so there you go. There's some research to, to back up what we, I guess, suspected some mm. time ago i guess we didn't really necessarily know the extent of this but uh so yeah there's a few warning warning bells there so the next thing i wanted to talk about was what's happening with microsoft and the zune hd is now out yes yeah indeed. It's, it's looking pretty good uh it's looking pretty good smaller than what the pictures yeah. would have at first implied yeah it did look it does i must admit because it's kind of squarish as opposed to sleek rounded corners it gives the impression that it's some big bulky thing yeah but uh, apparently it's not yeah it's uh it's it seems quite nice it's uh, the screen apparently is very nice very sharp very vibrant mm-hmm. so the reports say the uh the, what's interesting is that the model for applications brett what's the the deal there yeah the their version of the app store is not really an app store it's an app library that they're creating and you can download the apps and all of the apps are free so you download the apps and sync them to the to your zoom but before your apps load or during the loading of the apps uh you get ads so it's an ads that's an interesting approach so it's it free, is an interesting the approach ads, they're free but the you ad get ads funded. yeah uh the, the one thing i have heard is that the loading of the apps is very slow yeah, some of the apps have been reported to have relatively slow loading times, you know, from like eight seconds worth of load for a calculator to like half a minute for a game of chess. 
and various that's that's times very between slow. you. Yeah, that's really that slow. Is, that's well, too slow. <laughs> it's 30 seconds. When you think of 30 seconds, 30 seconds isn't that much. But in this day and age with technology, we want things now. Yeah, we so. expect it immediately. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially for a new device. A new device yeah. should be, you know, doing things even faster than a previous one. But so what do you once think? again, this is apps on an MP3 player. So... <laughs> As long as it plays MP3s really well and, right. you know, movies on its, or, you know, whatever. Whatever video it's meant to do. Screen, yeah. <laughs> it does those really well. Then the fact that the chess game on it loads slowly but then plays okay, I think is forgivable. So who's got the right model here? Apple's paper download or Microsoft's free but ad funded? Well, Apple's way is going to be more variety. There's going to be a lot more variety because it is, you know, a full-on store and you can become a developer and put something on the store and sell it and make some money out of it. Uh, You're going to get a whole heap of different things, a huge variety, whereas Microsoft's approach is more, it's all, well, at least so far, it's it's all in-house stuff. It's all available free, um, ad-supported, obviously. So they are quite different. That's not Quite. to say that they may open it up later on, couldn't they? Even if yeah. you don't get paid for yeah, your download, start with, you might get a revenue share of the ads, right? Yeah. Maybe. That's one way of Maybe. doing it. It's not quite as, you know, it's not quite as good a pull as Apple's version. This kind of seems Apple's weird because Apple's it seems Apple. almost the, it seems almost the other way around that we've seen with, with PCs. Like the, what Apple's done with the, with the application store is very much kind of like the openness and the ecosystem that PCs have have had for a while. They've been a little bit more open, whereas Microsoft's mm. library, as you call it, which is very much pretty much what it is, it's not really an no. app store. It's just an online library of apps. That's kind of more Apple's traditional computer model. It, it kind of seems they've they've switched. Yeah, <laughs> you know, hey. philosophies. I never thought of it that way, but yeah, you're quite right. <laughs> so it'll be this one. Uh, yeah, this I, I'm not quite sure why. Microsoft have gone down this route. I'm wondering whether it is simply because the device doesn't have a, a, a very good market share at the moment. I wonder if they're going to wait until they have got a sort of a critical mass and then they may well do what Apple have done. Yeah, yeah. Well, what they've done is, you know, they've got those tasters. There's the those tasters out there for different things that you can possibly do with the Zoom if you wanted to develop on it. And yeah, maybe later on, down the track, they are going to release a proper store where other third-party developers will be able to create things for the Zoom. Yeah, it'd be nice to see. What I'm really happy to see is that they've decided to support AAC, MPEG-4, and H.264 codec, which is something oh, exactly. that's traditionally it has, been it, really bad at doing. It has, a, it has a good, you know... A f- good spectrum of codec support for playing whatever it is that your media is in. Yeah, which would suggest that you can buy stuff from iTunes and play it on your Zoom because it supports AAC. So long as it's not DRM'd, but most of the store is not DRM'd anymore. So Mm. yeah, look, uh, this 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 is it's got its upsides and its downsides there are a few downsides the the slow loading time was one of them mm, for the for apps for for apps the, yeah sorry yeah the, apps. yeah the, the device itself and its primary purpose is yeah you know there's been i've not read any reports of it being slower than you'd expect for what it does so but yeah for apps 
Yeah, I'm not really sure how what it would be like to to have a device that you have to view ads before you want to play a game or something. I'm not quite sure. I've never had something like that. I'm not sure whether that would work or not. Oh, so you've never played, um, never downloaded any games for your cell phone? Obviously. No, look, I've got a very basic phone. Yeah, because um, a lot of cell phone games have ads when they're loading during oh, the they? loading screen. Yeah. So that's quite a common technique. Mm, it is, relatively. Actually, I do lie because I, I have been playing those free online Flash games. They do have ads. ads they do, the yeah. But it's because it's not on my device. It's almost, to me, more acceptable. Um, this is what I'm questioning. If it was my own device that I, that I purchased, that I carry around with me, do I want to see ads? I don't know. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying I, I'm not decided. Well, they're not, you know, as long as they're not, you know, d- intrusive advertising, that would be annoying. You know, it, it pops up in the middle of your playing of right. the game. Yeah, oh, that, that would be, don't give them ideas, Something Greg. just through the loading <laughs> screen. But oh, it would become unusable if it was a you know. Yeah, that that wouldn't happen. We stick an ad no, in that the middle of this. Yeah, that, it would be very bad. All right. Speaking of bad, what are the music publishers wanting? Uh, <laughs> there's a story that's been in the in the news this week. They they're wanting to get more from iTunes. Basically, they the the music publishers think that they're not getting enough money from in different ways, and they should be entitled to more. From content served up on iTunes. So, Brett, what's what's the give us a lowdown on that? Well, basically, it's it's another group, another set of music groups for the composers and songwriters who are not getting their piece of the 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 music pie, or they're saying that they're not getting their piece of the music pie, and it is the the performance licensing fees. So whenever something is played, you know, in a restaurant or in a supermarket, you're listening to the all the the radio, they're paying a performance fee to play that music. Whereas when you're downloading stuff from iTunes or streaming things over the, that that radio, you're not paying a public performance fee. Oddly enough, <laughs> but they reckon you should be. They well, reckon on your they iPhone, should be, on your yeah. or on your uh, yeah from iTunes. Yep, you you buy your music from iTunes or you listen to that 30-second snippet to decide whether or not you want to buy that song. They don't want Uh, money from that, do they? Yes, they do. They want performance fees from that 30-second taster that is there for you to decide whether or not you want to buy that song. They want their cut of that profit. Oh, man, that really takes a cake. That's that's ridiculous. It is. It is completely ridiculous. So not only are they triple-dipping, but they also want these 30-second clips which actually help sell their product. So people can actually hear what they're, what they're wanting, yep. getting about to buy. Yep. They want royalties from that. Yep, they want you to pay for that 30-second snippet for <laughs> for you to listen to before you then pay to buy the full song. Oh, man. So <laughs> it's really, really ridiculous. What are we going to get next? We're going to get five-second snippets of 30-second snippets so you can get a taster of the 30-second snippet to see whether or not you want to buy the 30-second <laughs> snippet to see whether or not you want yeah. to buy whole song yeah i'm uh, not sure not what work. they're thinking exactly here, they, uh, the, the the artists and the, the industry itself is already double dipping with the mechanical licensing fee for the production and distribution as well as the the synchronizing fee for a place for when it's put into you know things like soundtracks and um, movies and tv episodes. yeah that's already been paid for right that's already, that's already been paid for that's already in there so they're already getting money twice from one you know one form, and now they're wanting a third, a third slice. 
of the same pie. <laughs> See, that, that, those things, that just seems outrageous. Mm. It really, really does. <laughs> and especially because they, they're wanting this to be, they're wanting us to pay public performance fees on these. Well, that's, so that's you nuts. buy an iTunes MP3, you stick it on your MP3 player and you listen to it as you're, you know, jogging to the bus. Apparently, they want your yeah. They want you to pay public performance fee for well, that. Then if they want a public performance fee for stuff that I buy on iTunes, th- does that imply that I have a right now to actually publicly perform that piece of music? Mm. You know, is that what they're Good saying? Question. That I can now screen yeah. uh, or the movie? So I bought a movie off iTunes. I can now screen that and charge it for it because I've you know I've technically paid for a. Yeah, technically you'll have paid the the synchronization fee, the mechanical licensing fee, as well as the public performance fee. So can you like put your TV (laughs) in your window and invite the neighbors to watch it? I know what the answer is if we ask them, you know, they're going to say no, but you see, this is my point. Then why, why are they asking? Why? This this is ridiculous. I, I just don't get the, I sometimes, I don't get these people. It's like they're on another planet. Yeah, I, I very rarely understand their sides when they come up with these arguments. And, uh, yeah, I don't think very many rational people would be able to understand their side of the argument, which is why there are so many people against it, and which is why they've had so little progress with their pushes to make this, to enforce this payment through legislation instead of through negotiation. Look, if it weren't for iTunes and Amazon MP3 and some other, you know, a bunch of others, you know, they may not even be here today. This is what's more or less saved them, or at least saved a, you know, a chunk of their business. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, it's 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 bizarre. It's like one of their arguments against. Well, they've already got their double dipping going on, the synchronization fee for for music that's incorporated into TV and movies. In this case, there's already synchronization fee and mechanical licensing fee built into those when they're distributed digitally or online. And what they're coming back and saying is that, yes, they're basically acknowledging that they're double dipping with those, but they're saying that some of their some of their artists have given away the signed away the rights to the synchronization fee and only get money through the licensing fee and the public performance fee. And well, the only logical comeback to that one is, well, then you're, the artists that have done this are the ones shooting themselves in the foot by giving up their rights to one of their double dip fees in the first place. So you're, they've given up one of their double dip fees, so they're only getting a single dip at the, the money, uh, at the, the royalties. And so you're wanting to bring in another double dip for those people, which would mean the people who did not give up their synchronization fee rights or one of their fee rights would end up getting triple dips. So I don't see how any of this makes sense. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Honestly, it makes no <laughs> sense. somebody can explain it to me, you know, in a logical real world, how this could actually be. <laughs> Maybe we should get uh... coherent or sane. Then yeah, that'd be that'd be awesome. Well, maybe we should get one of the representatives from the music industry to come on the show, and we can have a chat to them. That'd be quite yeah, nice. Yeah, and they can explain how it makes sense. 
Yeah, because I certainly don't. It, the double the double dipping thing has been highlighted here in New Zealand not long ago. Actually, it was in the news. Yeah. A lot of people didn't know about it. You know, when radio stations play music, they they have to pay they pay royalties, a percentage of their revenue, which is actually quite bad as well. It's revenue, not profit. So it's even before any expenses, they pay a, a share yeah. a, a share of that in royalties so that they can play it over the radio. Now, if you have a a shop in town that is playing that radio station over the speakers in their shop, you'd think that they wouldn't need to pay anything further, but they do. They, the shop themselves, have to also buy a license to be able to publicly play that music. Even though the radio station's already paid, the shop has to pay as well. How many times do they want it to be paid for? Yeah. I mean, I can understand them wanting it paid for. You know, people. I can understand them know, wanting but, but to why, be paid why twice for it, but, or three times. But yeah, <laughs> when as you go down the chain of these distributions, these licenses, and you're just adding on licenses and licenses and links in the chain, and each part of that link has to once again pay for the same thing that's already been. It's where does it stop? Really, it's madness. I, what I fear is that they're going to kill the legal music download business uh, and they'll be back to, you know, it's rampant piracy over the internet again because what else is... Because people are sick and tired of yeah. all of, you know, having to pay for 30-second snippets when they discover <laughs> that they didn't like the 30-second snippet of the song and now they've wasted whatever it was to pay for it. I mean, that's, that's Apple that has to pay that, but they may well pass those fees on either by oh. getting us to pay for the snippet or they'll just they increase, increase the, the price of the track, absolutely. So we won't yeah, get... they will increase the price of the tracks. Yeah, to cover people listening to, you know, the previews, which, yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. But there you go. That's the music industry for you. It's just bad form. Yeah. Bad form. Come uh-huh. on. Get with it. Move into what are we? The the two thousands for crying out loud. Oh, no. Get past. <laughs> <laughs> Embrace the technology. Exactly. All right. Uh, now Novell has done something rather interesting. This week they've announced that they've uh, introduced MonoTouch, which is basically a development framework for the iPhone and iPod Touch, but it uses Microsoft's .NET and C Sharp framework. Now that's kind of cool. I think that is kind of cool. They reckon there's a market for this. It, the thing is, it, it's a little bit confusing because this whole system requires a Mac. It, it, it runs on a Mac. Mm-hmm. So why would a, a .NET... Wait, so yeah, it, it's Microsoft. It's .NET. It's a .NET platform to write applications for the iPhone and iPod Touch. Using a Mac. Why would you... It seem- <laughs> Once again, it seems like the <laughs> the answer to why is because they could. <laughs> why did they create something to use the .NET platform on a Mac for writing iPhone applications? Because they could. Well, they reckon it's a viable business. They're not just a bunch of geeks doing it for a laugh. They, they, they're in there for this is something serious. They're charging, you know, four, $400 up for a license to... Yeah, I, I could... I could understand that if you were doing that on uh, as a way for PCs, people with PCs to yeah. develop applications for the iPhone. But for you to have a Mac in the first place to develop these applications for the iPhone using the .NET, then why don't you just use the regular developer interface? 
Yeah, because if you're using a Mac anyway. Yeah, yeah, if you're using a Mac anyway, what's the point of difference? I what's suppose, the point I suppose of difference that, that makes you want to use the .NET? It, well, actually, I may be able to self-answer this. It may be that what they what they're looking at are people who you know developers who know uh, C sharp well and who have been using .NET and are happy to purchase a Mac but just don't want to learn a new language. They don't want to learn Objective C. They just want to use what they know. So they go out and buy a Mac, which they can run Windows on as well, and and they're quite happy with that. And they maybe they just stick to the you know language they know. Maybe that's why. Still seems a little odd, but it just—it does seem a little odd. And once again, it—it it also seems to, to be not a huge market of people who would be, you know, proficient .NET C sharp developers who, who would then go out and buy a Mac so that they could then develop things for the iPhone and the iPod. Yeah, it does, seem, it does seem a bit odd. It does just, seem a little uh, like, yeah. kind of. <laughs> <laughs> First, I thought, hey, that's awesome. People, the PC developers, can finally make something for. But you still need a Mac. You still need a Mac, and you need Just, Apple's uh, your own uh, development framework underneath as well. It relies on yeah. that. So that's kind of weird. That's weird. Because so, I guess you know. <laughs> but hey, yeah. there you go. It's it's been done. <laughs> that's yeah, no yeah. bell for you. Well, that's you know. <laughs> Why not? I'm sure people will use it. <laughs> I wonder if they will have any little icon or anything in the App Store to differentiate this was developed with .NET and c sharp yeah actually probably have a little, yeah probably has an icon <laughs> in there somewhere or a, a logo or something yeah D- <laughs> brought to you by monotouch and .net i well, wonder, it'll I be wonder if they will have licensed .net from microsoft to do this as well because they're kind of it's obviously not native .net because you know .net doesn't run on a mac so it's obviously they've obviously kind of yeah built Kind of almost their own implementation of .NET. The, the whole thing's a bit weird. Well, we just we'll have to do a little more digging. Need to look into this more. Interesting story, though. Yeah. Now, remember, a few uh, episodes ago, we had Matt Stewart on the podcast. He was the author of the French Revolution, the book, one of the first books, not the only, not the only one, but one of the first to be tweeted out, published on Twitter. Yes, published on Twitter because oh. he couldn't. None of the publishers wanted his book. So what's the news this so week? Sell, well, the news with this week is he sold his book. Yay! <laughs> he is being published. Good one, Matt. Awesome. Good one, Matt. Yeah, I think that's really good. So, uh, if you want your copy of the French Revolution, look out for it because it will be in a bookstore near you eventually. Indeed. Now that a publisher's got it. The, well, who's the publisher? Soft Skull. Soft Skull, yeah. Soft That's Skull. That's it. Yes. Hmm. There you so, go. Yeah, keep your eye out for it. Twitter is a viable publishing... Well, it's not really a publishing It's not a viable medium publishing format, but it's definitely got, a viable it's, format for... To get noticed. Getting noticed. Yeah. I think he was... Because he was one of the first to do it, uh, you know, I think that has a little bit to do with it. Yeah. But anyway... Well, the publicity gave him a leg up for it, but... Excellent. Yeah, good on him. All the best with that, Matt. Precisely. All right, the last story for this week is right here in New Zealand, some researchers have developed some technology that could be used in wireless heart pumps. Yes. So this Pretty is, cool stuff. This is very similar to, I think we covered a story three or four episodes ago about charging devices wirelessly. Yep. Remember that? Uh, charging uh, plug-in electric cars and 
and also smaller devices like your iPhone and so on. Uh, well, this kind of uses a similar thing. You've basically got a coil. It's it's like a, a wireless transformer, if you like. You've got a coil on the outside with plugged into the power, and then inside your body is the heart pump, and it has a coil as well, which induces the current and runs the heart pump. So the great thing about this is that traditionally, patients with heart pumps have had wires. They need sort of wires and stuff coming outside of them, and that's yeah. an opportunity for infection. It's an opportunity for infection. They're, you know, they can get yanked, caught on things, and you don't Ouch. want a wire going to some, you know, some critical device anchored in your chest, and you take your jacket off badly. <laughs> these are these are concerns when you've got, you know, wires sticking out of you. Yeah, no, a wireless heart pump is definitely a big step up. If you can have that completely sealed inside your body, that's a lot safer. It is a lot safer. Exactly. I thought one of the, 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 the cool parts was that, you know, it uses rechargeable batteries, which last for seven or so hours. And you just, you know, when one battery is almost empty, you unplug it, plug in the new one, and it's all go. But it's all external. You carry it outside. It's just got the, the thing which sits on your collarbone. It's great. Yeah, it is kind of cool. They're not cheap, though. Uh, 86,000 US. But hey, I mean, but having said that, what price do you do you put on, you know, on a life? Yeah, yeah, on 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 technology that that's there to keep you alive. So, and you know, if I, I'm sure pri- the price comes down over time, you know, it's it's like anything that's new, it's always going to start off at a premium. Yep, quite true. That's good news. Good story to end on. That's all we have this week. Yeah. Some interesting things, some crazy ideas from some <laughs> yeah. seemingly crazy people, some cool ideas from <laughs> some quarters, and some just odd things that we need to look at a little more. Absolutely. It's been a good mixed bag this week. It has. And that is episode number 35. So look, thank you very much for joining us. Don't forget our website at boysoftech.com. You can comment on our episodes there. And uh, thank you very much, everyone at home, for listening. We'll see you all again next week for episode 36. Till then, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.